State Representative Matt Bradford of Montgomery County is the Democratic Appropriations Chairman. Recently, we talked about his growing up in Chester County, his parents' small business venture as a florist, and why he ran for public office. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, president of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. I am in Norristown at Five Saints Distilling. And uh, this is, uh, well, the first time I've been in a distillery, uh, not a microbrewery or a coffee shop. And uh, I have Representative Matt Bradford uh, to thank for that. So uh, this is great, Matt. Uh, We were chatting beforehand with the owner here of Five Saints and um, entrepreneur. Uh, been open for three years and, and seems to be doing well. Thanks for introducing me uh, here to Five Saints. Yeah, it's a, it's a great place. It's literally like a local mom and pop, like a true small business and a really great location. And they're doing a great thing here in a community that needs a little shot in the arm and it's a great story. Yeah, I know that this was a uh, an empty or a vacant uh, firehouse uh, and they're in the process of converting it to have a restaurant and uh, as we were talking to Amy, one of the owners, they've even booked like a year from now a wedding. Uh, so, I mean, this is an area that uh, it looks like it could use some revitalization and uh, here they're bringing it. Yeah, it's a, and it's, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, they started off, I, I think they were saying, you know, the bottom floor is a, like a, a bar kind of you'd expect, a traditional bar. But, you know, they're putting a restaurant on the second floor, a catering hall on the third. And, uh, you know, in a part of town where, you know, we're in this very wealthy county, but, you know, our county seat needs some TLC and we need some entrepreneurs that are willing to take a little bit of risk. And uh, God bless Amy and John, they're doing it. Well, the only disappointment is that they've blocked off the fire pole that uh, we were not able to slide down it to, to do our podcast. Yeah, uh, I think but, their insurance company yeah, appreciates yeah, that. Yeah, we can thank the lawyers <laughs> for that, uh, right? Uh, talking to a lawyer here. Well, Matt, uh, you know, bruising views, we want to get to know the the person behind the politician. And uh, so let's start, uh, you know, where you grew up. I knew you, I know you didn't grow up in, in Montgomery County. You grew up a long way away south of here uh, in Chester County. <laughs> I, I've come a long way, about 12 miles uh, north and a little bit east, I guess. So, I, yeah, I grew up in Downingtown area, West Bradford Township, which is, you know, somewhere between Downingtown and Westchester. Just a, a really a great part of the world. I, I shouldn't say this because I've got to defend all good things Montgomery County, but it's a, it is a beautiful county and a great place. Uh, you know, I'm not even sure who represents that part of uh, okay. Chester County now is, um, but it's just a great area to grow up. Great schools. You know, you could, as a kid, we could bike into Westchester. Back then, the Eagles had training camp in Westchester in the borough at the university. So we'd, you know, bike ride there as kids. And, you know, you could just, you could go anywhere. I mean, we were in the country, but it was, you know, it was exurbia is probably what it yeah. was. We all lived It's probably in this... developed quite a bit since uh, you were a kid there. The, the joke I say, which is, is true, there was a street, Poorhouse Road, which was a dirt road that like nobody traveled. It was like the back road to get anywhere. And now it's like three lanes, obviously uh, paved, uh. and it gets like traffic jams. And when <laughs> I go back occasionally, I can't believe it's Chester County uh, Chester County has just seen such amazing growth. Uh, it's still beautiful, but it's got all the challenges now of exurbia and congestion and all that brings. Now, I know you are the youngest of, of three boys. Yes. Uh, your mom, a Navy veteran, and your dad, uh, a salesman. Uh, I also read that uh, your parents had started a small business that uh, uh, they had you working, kind of like what we're here with Amy and John. They got their son, Cameron, uh, working behind the bar. Uh, uh, tell me about uh, your parents and uh, what they did. 
Yeah, so the, the, their business, nothing is cool, I can say, especially through the perspective then of like a 15-year-old boy. Uh, nothing as cool as a distillery and a bar. Uh, my parents, my mom, God bless her, had a background in kind of all things art. She was always, you know, one to be an artist and all that. She uh, had become a florist, actually. You know, part-time job growing up. Uh, you know, my dad traveled a lot. She had part-time jobs working at flower shops. Did design, largely self-taught. They wound up opening a, originally it was my mom, opened a small flower shop, turned into a florist, and then actually wound up opening a second location. Um, I wound up being the uh, teenage son who begrudgingly had to work at my parents' store, uh, <laughs> sweeping floors occasionally at holiday time, you know, selling plants back when back when. Do florists, you know your flowers, though? I mean, can you name all your flowers? I when you think see them? I know more okay. than most 43-year-old guys, but I'm not here to tell you I'm a horticulturalist. Uh, I, I can do some damage, uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know enough to uh, to really qualify. So was, was your dad involved in that business, or was this your mom's whole enterprise? Well, you know what? My, I I think between um, between my two parents, I think they had a semester of college. So, mm. and it, which is kind of an amazing story. My dad literally was a traveling shoe salesman. I mean, back uh, when that was a thing, wow. he would go from store to store selling, you know, kids' shoes for a, actually a, a company overseas, and so he, that was his thing. My mom became a florist, and they were pretty successful and really, you know, uh, modest people. Um, and put this together. My dad actually had more of a background in kind of the business stuff. And at one point, um, it just made sense for him to kind of come back home. And uh, he actually ran kind of the, what I'll call the back office stuff. I, I don't think he knows anything more about flowers than I do. Uh, but he wound up doing that part of it. So between them, you know, they had a, a pretty good run. That was, a, you know, it was, it was funny too. I, one thing I give my parents a lot of credit for, and again, not people, you know, they, they didn't have a fancy Wharton degree or anything like that. Um, but I remember they were pretty smart about the business because I remember when they saw, like, the Internet and the 1-800-Flowers. Remember FTD back in the day? Yeah, I mean, sure, I remember as sure. a kid probably because I was closer to it. But that was, like, the gold standard. You know, you'd wire flowers. Well, you know, with the advent of the Internet and, you know, those different 1-800-Flowers, they could see the business changing. Okay. And I always gave them a lot of credit. They were like, you know, there's not going to be, you know, seven florists in every town in Pennsylvania, let alone little Westchester. Uh, and, and so they had a pretty good run, and there was a young guy who worked in the business. Uh, when my parents got to a certain age, they sold it to uh, someone, so, you know, he was able to support is his family. Is it still there? Is it, it still is. operating? It is. You know, okay. it, it's, it's not what it once was. Um, it's different. Like all flower shops, yeah. like all businesses have had to change yeah. in a yeah. different world. Um, but it's, uh, it, you know, it's a, it was great growing up in a small business. I also, you know, I have tremendous respect. I got, I got to tell you. People who run small business, yeah. and I mean true small businesses, um, it, it, it gave me a true appreciation. I got to say, you know, people often say, oh, my parents did that. I always wanted to do that. I remember on, you know, holidays, uh, you know, if we had extra flowers, yeah. you know, donating them or selling them at, at the uh, at the intersection, you know, where you'd have like the Easter plant sale and all right, that. Right. And I remember thinking like, oh, I never want to do yeah, this when yeah. I get older. And not, not because, you know, I begrudged it, but I just knew this was hard work. And, you know, I remember knowing, you know, if it was a bad year and, and the challenges and the stress it was on my parents, uh, it was never easy. Yeah. Uh, so not I've just always, a nine to five job, right? It, so, it yeah. was not. I mean, I, listen, I remember my parents coming home, you know, night before Valentine's Day mm. at three o'clock in the morning. I remember... You know, saying, hey, you know, it's, you know, during the, I remember in the recession in the early 90s, this was mid, this was late 90s. 
uh, I remember at the time, you know, going to college and my parents would be like, eh, it's going to be a rough year and, you know, paying tuition bills at, you know, the holiday time of the year because, frankly, there, there wasn't the money. Because so you, you went to that cheap uh, community college, uh, Villanova, down the road here, right? You mean the team that won the national championship uh, two of the last four seasons okay, in yes. uh, something called the NCAA tournament. But, uh, no, I, you know what? I, I, I'll tell you, I went to a very expensive school. And here's a great story. Growing up in kind of a Catholic family, my parents you know, grew up in Delaware County. My my uh, my nan and pop, my uh, my grandparents lived in Delaware County, and we would drive by Villanova, where I eventually went to school, uh, to get to you know grandma and grandpa's house mm-hmm. or whatever. And like to my parents, like Villanova would have been Harvard. Like that, their view was you know good good Catholic kid, that's where you go to yeah. school. Um, and I always remember thinking, wow, if I do well enough, and I was I, I can't tell you I was the hardest working kid. I wasn't. Uh, you know, school came relatively easy. I always thought, like, if I could go there, that would be something. So I was very, uh, I remember being able to go there, and I remember as happy as I was the day I got my acceptance letter, the day I got my financial aid letter, I remember being <laughs> almost, if not more important, because I knew I'd be able to attend. Well, you, you didn't just go for undergrad, but uh, you also got your law degree from there, so I'm sure that... Uh, met my wife of, there. Yeah, Every, everything yeah, the everything came from Villanova. Well, so uh, back to your, your family. Um, where did politics come in? Did, was there any, you know, were your parents politically involved? Uh, were you guys talking about these things at the dinner table, or is this something that, for you, uh, came later on in life? You know, it's funny. You say talk politics. I was one of those families where people argued politics. Okay. And it was mostly my dad. Uh, now, my, everyone would talk about it around around the uh, table. And I remember we were a divided family because I remember a lot of my dad's relatives and my mom's relatives were of the other persuasion. My dad was a pretty liberal Democrat, if, if my recollection serves me. And they would argue it back and forth. And I would always hear it. Um, you know, and I, I think I probably was always, you know, trended in towards my dad's direction. But you'd always hear the, the back and forth. So, so your I, mom was more conservative in her, her political know, views? My mom yeah. comes from a big military family. She's, okay. You mentioned she was yeah. in the reserves, Naval Reserve. Um, she was more conservative. Her family, definitely. I mean, a, a real proud military history. Uh, and uh, I think that just naturally sent them into more of a... Uh, a liberal way. I, I will say happily, my mother over the years has has drifted mightily to the uh, <laughs> progressive side. I think uh, she was there before uh, George W. Bush, and I think Donald Trump has solidified her on the uh, Democratic side of the equation. But she's, uh, you know, the politics were always around. They were okay. talked about, not necessarily electoral politics, but you know, current events type mm-hmm. politics. Mm-hmm. And uh, did they talk about these things? Uh, you know, but certainly as you're talking about small business and. As we were talking with John and Amy here at the distillery, uh, the challenges uh, that exist for small businesses, uh, you know, operating and certainly the government uh, can either be a help or uh, a hindrance. Uh, did they experience that? Oh, absolutely. But and, and frankly, in the most granular form. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, we were talking about, you know, permit, you know, a thing like that where, you know, sometimes it's tough to get a permit. Um, That kind of thing, I mean, again, it wasn't a multi-million dollar corporation, but those little hang-ups that either drive you nuts or slow you down or waste your time, time you want to be home or or doing some other thing. Uh, And then, frankly, just like, you know, the natural business cycle, you know, a bad economy and what that meant. Uh, you know, I, I know we kind of talked about it before, but like I remember, you know, as a, as a kid being cognizant of, you know, it was a bad year, yeah. it was a bad yeah. month. And, uh, you know, it, I, I, it gives no me guarantee a, paychecks uh, in, in the small business. No, world. Yeah. It is, it's not a defined benefit, <laughs> I can assure you. So um, you you end up going to Villanova. I know you meet your wife there and you've got 
you got four kids now. Yeah. Uh, and uh, family. Uh, you end up going to law school and uh, then becoming a, a practicing attorney, correct? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I became an attorney, you know, did the, the things you'd expect. Yeah. Uh, you know, can't I mean, say did, I when loved it. When you, yeah. When you're going to law school, you're thinking... What what direction are you are you thinking you want to go? Go into corporate law or criminal? I mean, what was you what were you thinking? Why why did you even go to law school? I guess right. If I'm being honest, probably inertia because <laughs> you know I talk to young people who work yeah. in my uh, in my office who want to go to law school, and I say you know go to it with if if your eyes are wide open. Uh, you know, I was a person who who went to undergrad, and and this is very timely because we now talk about these things much more than we did back then. I got a political science and history degree. I love mm. history. Mm. I'll, you know, to this day, you'll catch me reading a biography or an autobiography. Um, so love that type of, of thing. But I never really thought, okay, you're going to get a degree in history and political science. What, what you do you do, do now? And, uh, so law school kind of was inertia. Yeah. And okay. that probably isn't the best reason to go to grad school. Um, so there are days where I'm glad I have a law degree, and there were days where I was, you know, doing billable hours and all the grind that is keeping your life in six-minute increments. I thought, what did I do now? And so uh, at what point uh, do you start to getting more involved politically? Uh, and how did you, uh, we'll get to when you decided to run for office uh, over 10 years ago now, yeah. believe it or not. The, the, the how I ran is a funny story, which uh, I can blame one of my colleagues, but the, the uh, I was always involved, running campaigns, working on campaigns, you know, helping a friend. Um, you know, I was, I was involved in the college Democrats, so yeah. all the traditional things, um, but never necessarily said, oh, this is the year, this is the time, or I'm looking for my opportunity. It wasn't like that. It was just like a lot of my friends were involved in it. I'd helped one of my good friend on a race, and so I was always around it. Okay. I, I, that's the best way to describe mm -hmm. it. While you're, while you're practicing law at this time? Or? Yeah, I mean, from the time I was in college, law school, um, and then, yeah, I, I guess as I was practicing law, I, I certainly knew I liked politics more than uh, the practice of law necessarily it, it just uh, you know in a lot of ways they went hand in hand you know a lot of lawyers find themselves in, in mm -hmm. that world so it, it was a it was a nice mix well and I know you took a, a, a leave I believe from your law firm uh, to do some uh, work on the, the uh, borough of Norristown uh, tell tell that story. What 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 was going on there? What did you do? Um, yeah. And I think you know it's probably some things that will translate into well areas that you're dealing with now. Certainly as the Democratic uh, Appropriations Chairman. Yeah, one of my favorite people in the world, and it's funny you mentioned this because I, I didn't realize you're going to Joe Vignola, who worked uh, ran for the U.S. Senate many mm -hmm. years ago. You may know the name. Uh, Joe headed up the Pika Board in the city. Uh, governor Rendell was then governor. Or, uh, or I was going uh, Mayor, Mayor Rendell. Yes, we call yeah, Mayor Rendell, right, but right. Then, yeah, I guess I had it right. Well, he Governor became Rendell. Mayor of Pennsylvania then, yeah, right? Yes, that's yes, that's yes. what you would say he was. <laughs> I think he did a great job for all of Pennsylvania. But having said that, uh, you know, Norristown had tremendous financial challenges, and for a short period of time, you know, they had, they had, uh, through a uh, through a corruption issue, they had a lot of their top level folks were removed. And spent about nine months with Joe Vignola, who's just a great guy and a mentor, and had done a lot of the economic restructuring through the PICA board in, in the city of Philadelphia, and worked with him on some of those financial challenges. Everything from restructuring uh, labor contracts to just kind of getting things stood up on a labor footing. Uh, I always say it was like the longest nine months of my life. I can tell you to this day, I had a thick head of hair. Uh, when I started, and nine months later, I already told my hair was going in the wrong direction. 
was a brutally difficult job, um, but I met some great people. To this day, um, you know, it, it turns out my legislative district now encompasses the borough. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's always got a uh, soft spot in my heart because of the challenges and some of the issues uh, that I saw firsthand at that time. Well, so uh, at what point uh, did you decide, I'm going to run for state house? And this would have been in 2008, of course, uh, uh, a big year in politics, uh, right? Uh, so what what uh, what compelled you to say, I'm running for state house, and I want to go spend uh, 180 some odd days in Harrisburg? <laughs> Thank you, Mike Terza. Uh, so... Uh, it's funny you say, uh, because uh, one of my good friends and a, a, a colleague, Tim Briggs, uh, was sure. another guy. Tim, Joe Huffle was our congressman for Montgomery County at the time. Joe had, I guess he, he was no longer a congressman. He might have been county commissioner at that point. But, you know, we'd all helped on his different races. Montgomery County was kind of one of the first suburban counties that Democrats started to really show signs of life in. And there was a lot of us younger folks who worked on these races. So, you know, Josh Shapiro, yeah. people have gone on to a bunch bigger and better things. Uh, but Tim and, and Josh, they, it, we all kind of worked on Joe's campaigns. Knew Joe. I knew um, that Tim was running that year in 2008. And every two years, I mean, I would be lying if I didn't say every two years someone didn't say, oh, you should run for that legislative seat. You know, oh, you should do this, you should do that. Um, but the God's honest truth is, and I guess it was like late July of 2008, uh, we had a candidate, good guy. He had some issues, though, and he, he was going to be able to run out the race. Tim Briggs calls me. It's like the last day of the month. I'm doing, like, my billable hours, which, again, keeping track of life in <laughs> six-minute increments, as lawyers have to do, is a, is a weak time, especially for someone who's not always the most organized. And I remember uh, Tim calling me and saying, hey, our candidate dropped out. You should think about running. And Tim was running in the neighboring district uh-huh. at the time. And I just remember thinking, like, you know, if I was ever going to do it, yeah. Uh, and at that time, I think our, you know, I'm trying to remember the age of our kids, but it was like the first time in a couple of years that I was either newly married or we'd have a newborn yeah. or a one-year-old. It just like, it was like all things lined up on this one uh, Friday afternoon in late July. And they're like, you know what? It's a hundred day race. You'll, you know, whatever happens, happens. Your law firm's not going to fire you for taking a, you know, a hundred day leave, a three month leave. I, I can get through this. So I ran, and, and uh, the rest is history, sort of. <laughs> well, yeah, and this past year, uh, you took a big step uh, mm-hmm. of being elected uh, what is the third highest-ranking uh, officer in the Democratic House uh, as the appropriations chairman, and congratulations oh, on that. You. Or condolences, right? Uh, I think as you're yeah. certainly uh, figuring out or having to dive into what is a you know near $90 billion, you know, when you include all of the funds that are going out, uh, you have oversight uh, over that. Uh, are you enjoying it? Uh. <laughs> I, I am, actually. I, you know what? Uh, I, I've worked really hard the last uh, four or five months. I can honestly tell you, you know, uh, probably a lot harder than I have in the last couple of years, but it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's, it's exciting. It's, it's actually exhilarating to be that engaged. What's, uh, what's been the most surprising to you uh, in that? Uh, because you've just got, you've served on appropriations committee uh, before. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so you've seen this stuff. But now you're really up close and you've got a much larger staff. You can kind of ask questions and get answers that uh, maybe was a little more difficult as a rank and file uh, member. But what, what's, what's become uh, the most surprising thing for you? Um, you know what? It, I don't know about surprising, but what's been really great and really interesting is getting around to the districts of different members. Uh, you know, obviously the Southeast can be a little bit of a bubble. I'd be the first to admit that. 
uh, but going to a Mark Long Jetties district and just seeing a member who, you know, Mark, I've always had tremendous respect for and liked very much, but going to his district and seeing what a diligent member he is and how he does his business and, you know, the challenges in his district, which is on the, in the Ohio border, yeah. um, and how they don't look anything like Montgomery mm. County. And yet we're both, you know, proud Democrats and obviously want to help him and make sure that we come to a budget in agreement with our Republican uh, colleagues and with our with our governor um, that serves the interests for suburban Montgomery County, but also knows that, you know, Lawrence and Mercer County have a place in this Democratic Party and in this, frankly, Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So uh, when it comes to uh, our budgeting uh, process and uh, when numbers meet, I mean, we've had some conversations just you know, uh, math matters, right? And that's kind of one of those things that's really not partisan yeah. <laughs> or negotiable. Um, are, are we managing our finances well, or is there a lot of things that uh, we need to do better, you know, irrespective of the, the partisan divide over how we're spending money? Well, I, I, I'm too new to say, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be critical, but I will say this, math does matter. Yeah. And I, I think you hit the nail right on the head about that. Um, it's not a Democrat or Republican thing. We've got to get back to some, you know, some hard things, which is, you know, we got to get budgets that structurally balance long term. And, you know, I realize there's political impediments, there's trade-offs, there are compromises. And that's, again, not casting aspersions. That's just realizing that these challenges are baked into the cake. But some of these longer term challenges, demographic that we're going to have, that are real and they're problematic. Uh, revenue continues, you know, everything from, you know, uh, you know, gas tax depletes as cars get more fuel efficient. Well, we're not really talking about that, but that is slowly but surely going to deal with our ability to deal with infrastructure. Mm -hmm. These are real challenges that have real impact on things that are important to us across Pennsylvania. Sometimes I think uh, we try to get through the next June 30th deadline, and we're not looking back and say, hey, we've got these challenges. They're, they're large, they're structural, and they need to be addressed. Well, and that's the, I think that's the big challenge is uh, to look past uh, June 30, right? Because everybody, that's kind of long-term thinking uh, in many uh, minds. July 1st is yeah, a yeah. millennial way. Right, right. But if you, if you don't uh, handle things well now and just push them off into the next fiscal year, these problems uh, can accrue. And I know that we've got some... Uh, you know, spending items that are sort of on an automatic escalator that is in a trajectory that is just not going to be sustainable unless we have incre incredible economic growth or dramatic increases in taxes. I mean, human services, of course, is, is the biggest part of, of the budget, you know, in total. And it's growing uh, far beyond uh, our economic growth. Uh, those are some of the balancing things I think that um, we have to look at. And, and is there a will to do that, or is that uh, part of your challenge? Uh, I would argue that there's sometimes a little bit of bipartisan, let's cover our eyes yeah. about some of these. Yeah. Uh, some of it's demographics. And again, I mentioned that earlier. You know, you talk about human services. Big part of human services, that's about grandma. That's about that nursing home. Uh, that's about, you know, cost drivers. Uh, again, I think too easy in our politics to say, oh, that's, you know, that's welfare spending. No, that's grandma. And we shouldn't be so cavalier as to say, oh, you know, we can just, you know, take a, uh, take a pitchfork or a, uh, an axe to it, whatever the metaphor is. Uh, we've got to be smart about it. And we've also got to figure out how to grow our economy. Um, you know, we're in a community here where we have, you know, a vibrant immigration. Immigration is possibly one of the solutions. Getting people to want to move to Pennsylvania uh, and invest in Pennsylvania. And there are challenges with that. I'm not here to tell you they don't come without challenges. They do. 
um, but putting our head in the sand uh, about these long-term challenges yeah. is, is, is very real. And you're right, if we don't deal with them, uh, we do so at our peril. Yeah. Well, and I think that you, you, you note some of the safety nets, essentially, that I think uh, people uh, generally agree we want to we wanna have those. But then when there's efforts to uh, push some reforms, whether it's having able-bodied adults who, you know, don't have dependents at home or, you know, when you say let's have some work requirements, that be- becomes a, a partisan issue where I would think that there would be more bipartisan support. And it's like, well, we couldn't get that done because that would mean there'd be more money available for those people who really need it. Um, I mean, is that, am I framing that uh, wrong? Or do you disagree that, that those would be the kinds of things that we have to, we're not going to find, you know, billions of dollars in one thing. It's going to be getting more efficient uh, and effective with a lot of the programs and doing that, you know, in hundreds of, of programs. We're clearly continuing to have to get more efficient. Listen, I, I think uh, Governor Wolf has probably done more with less uh, than any governor in recent times. Uh, I realize that there are those who, who want to do certain things. Uh, you know, you mentioned work requirements. Okay, let's talk about work requirements for, for medical assistance and how that plays out. Um, I think we should be open as Democrats and, frankly, as, as leaders of hopefully a, a Democratic majority in the n- near term to talk about all of these things. I think they have to be on the table. Um, but again, I think we have to be honest about what really drives uh, our, our problems in Pennsylvania. And I say problems. Our cost drivers are, are really twofold, Medi- medical, uh, medical assistance mm-hmm. and education. Uh, for a lot of us who see you know, school districts like the one we're in who realize that these are underfunded districts by the tune of many, many millions of dollars. Uh, I wish efficiencies alone could get that problem solved. I will engage on any efficiency. I don't think there's a constituency for a misuse of government funds anywhere in the Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to be open to any and all solutions that anyone brings to the table. Well, so yeah, I, I've heard this a lot uh, of underfunded public schools, despite being the, in the top 10 in the country on a per pupil uh, basis. Um, uh, what, what, how much more do we need? I mean, what, when we say that they're under, how much more is going to actually provide what uh, you yeah. think is enough to get the job done? Yeah, th- this is a great point, and <laughs> I think you actually heard it right there. You, you heard Matt say something that's true. We spend a lot of money yeah. on education in Pennsylvania, a lot, of, a lot more than other states. And now I'm going to tell you something that's going to say, okay, one of these two bald-headed guys is lying. <laughs> I'm going to tell you that Pennsylvania as a state spends 46th in education. The difference between what we're saying is, Matt's saying as a state, if you take local and state together, that we spend a lot, and we do. And what I'm saying is, at the state level, we spend very little compared to most other states. But it's the same taxpayer, correct, that's paying all those bills? No, and this is where I'll disagree. Because (laughs) if you look at a taxpayer in a district like Norristown, Mm -hmm. or Pottstown, or Johnstown, or, and you can name third-class cities across this commonwealth. Our friends in Lower Marion, you know, 10 minutes down the uh, blue route from uh, the way you came, their ability at the local level to raise revenue, and I don't uh, begrudge it one cent of the money that's spent in that district, that local effort inflates the spend. But it also not only inflates the spend, it distorts the spend. And this is the problem. We are spending less in the poorest districts where the needs are the highest. 
And for those of us who believe that public education is the greatest key to unlocking the door to, to real uh, economic growth, but also to individual prosperity and success as a human being, that we underfund our poorest districts and let that distortion, this inequity between districts exist. So I think it's important. Yeah. And that's why I love coming on a, uh, to talk to a guy yeah. who I respect tremendously but don't always agree with. Because what we both said, I think we would agree. I didn't... Uh, Matt didn't, yeah. I want everyone to hear this. I didn't Matt lie, didn't you didn't lie. Right, Correct. but yeah. people need to understand there's <laughs> real differences, and that's what's missing from our political so, debate anymore. And, but uh, I, I'm, I'm sure you supported the, the new funding formula, correct? Absolutely. That is now, which we did too, of course, because uh, we would agree that allocating money according to students' needs and such, um, I think we're a long ways away from that being fully implemented because it's only on new monies coming into the system. Correct. Uh, and it's only been a couple of years now. So we're, we're a ways away from having that kind of a, a funding formula. Um, but what do you think about, uh, you know, if we say, you know what, we're going to fund kids, not systems, and we just give that money to allow kids to choose the best school that they want, whether it's the local school here in Norristown or, uh, you know, a private school down the road. What, what are your thoughts on, on those kinds of ideas? Well, listen, I think the public school system will always be the backstop. And I don't mean the backstop like the last resort. I mean the backstop like it's the catch-all for all of our kids. My kids are in public school. I think the vast, vast majority yeah. of kids in Pennsylvania are educated in public schools. And frankly, uh, I want backstop you to hear first priority. Our largest priority must make sure that every one of our public schools, frankly, and I don't want to sound hyperbolic, but should be a temple to education, should be the temple to the best of what we are in Pennsylvania. Um, getting public education right, uh, you know, we spend so much on corrections, yeah. on uh, workforce, yeah. on, you know, welfare. welfare yep. Let's have that discussion. Yeah. I'm here to say I put my, uh, you know, I put my cards on the table. Our best spend is a good public education. Yeah. And I just, I think that is a no-brainer. I think we agree 100% because, we, in fact, when you look at uh, people that are trapped uh, in those systems, whether yep. it's our, our welfare system or corrections, which are the two largest outside of education, right? What, what's a common denominator? A lack of a good education is mm -hmm. one of the strongest ones. So on that, we totally agree. And that's like, well, how do we make sure uh, you're saying we need more money. Obviously, I'm saying we need more choice for, for the parents. I'm, too, I'm, for, I, I, yeah. I'm for equity, too. And remember, because yeah. remember that, that point we made about I'm saying we're 46 and you're saying we're in the top five. Yeah. And I'm saying you're not lying. And, and, and let's be clear. Like, I think that's so what's yeah. missing from our political discourse. Like, I, I know yeah. that you're saying, listen, some of my favorite people are some of my most conservative colleagues. I, I got to tell you, I, I really enjoy the Frank Ryans and the Seth Groves, and we don't, uh, Kristen Phillips Hill, I enjoy them because you can have these discussions mm -hmm. and understand you're not lying when you make your argument. I'm not lying. We need to have these discussions, and Frank, we have to have them in an engaged yeah. way, yeah. and it's so missing, um, and that's well, and, why. Yeah, why do you think that is, Matt? Why, why do you think that we're not having that where it's become, uh, and I don't know if it's saying, oh, the good old days when we when we used to do that. But it does kind of seem like we're we're not even talking this way. We're having these kinds of discussions. And I ask that not knowing the answer right. because it frustrates me, too, is like, look, let's let's come here with uh, all of our perspectives. If we both agree that our objective 
is to make sure that every kid has an opportunity for a good education. We're going to disagree how we get there, right? right. That's what we're doing yeah. right now. But if our objective and if we can keep coming back to that, to me, that will solve more problems and go, you know what? Uh, let's do a little bit your way. Let's do a little bit my way. And maybe that's how we get to our common goal. Is that, I mean, is that thinking uh, way off of what, how Harrisburg operates today? Well, I don't think it's just Harrisburg. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, we're D, sure. The level of dysfunction now in, in D.C. and our national level, it frankly, surpasses what we have in Harrisburg. But it worries yeah. me. Um, the tribalism. That I, I, you know, I've had this conversation. It often comes up, obviously, regarding the current president. Um, but this idea that people have retreated to their ideological corners. And, you know, you can... You can listen to your cable news network of choice. You can go to your website of choice. You can get the news you want. And you can live in your own echo chamber. And it's really, uh, it's distorting. And I say this in a kind of things. It creates this idea that, like, group think. Like, everyone's thinking like I do. And I think it's, uh, it's really, uh, it's, it's hurting our ability to come to compromise. Uh, one of the biggest concerns I had, and I realize I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent, but I remember when the, the rise of the Tea Party mm -hmm. and folks who, who didn't, you know, who really said if you compromised, you were compromising principle. And they were unwilling. And they, they were a problem, frankly, within the Republican Party because the Republican Party became inflexible, the Hastert rule, those type of things. Listen, I love my Republican colleagues. I disagree strongly with their views. But I need them to compromise because I'll tell you now, we've got a great new progressive wing in our party and I love them and I'm so glad we have them and I want nine more of them by the next election. But here's the thing. I want them to understand our job in governing is to compromise and to sit down with people we don't always agree on and say, OK, we agree on the outcome. Now let's make the compromise on how we well, make it that, happen. Well, that's a good way, uh, a segue of, of asking this. Uh, I don't know if you're referencing the Democratic Socialists that are now in your party. Uh, is this not uh, going to have the same kind of effect uh, that you're saying the Tea Party had in the Republican wing, that you've got folks that uh, are on the far left uh, that are populating your caucus? You know what? They're not far left. We have three members of the DSA, and they're awesome. We've got three young women who have strong views, and I think at the end of the day understand we have an obligation to govern, and I think they want to be part of that, and I think they add a voice that needs to be heard. Listen, uh, we can try to, uh, you know, say, oh, it's, it's, it's socialism. Let me tell you what. I call, well, it social, call it social. Well, no, no, I call it social security. <laughs> I call it Medicare. I call it public education. Look, there are a lot of things where we have a collective uh, concern that we look out for each other. Uh, I am, I think it's great. Listen. So you we don't can, think it'll have the same effect that the Tea Party had on the Republican Party uh, with the addition of DSA members? Listen, it, it'll, yeah. it'll, it's a challenge sometimes okay. to, to deny it'll create a challenge. But let me tell you, if we were a bunch of monolithic, uh, bald old white guys like us, it'd be too easy. That's not America. I want my black brothers, my gay brothers and sisters. That's what we are as a country. And that, that, like, I got to tell you, like, that makes me excited because... You know, all these people need a seat at the table. We all have a voice to be heard. And, yeah, their views are maybe two clicks to my left, and I got to tell you. Only was, two? Well, <laughs> I, you know, I got, you know, it's funny. I was always viewed as one of the more progressive members, and I was at dinner with those ladies the other night, and I was kind of laughing at my own expense. I'm like, 
God, they're going to make me look like a complete sellout. Well, and, uh, uh, but you know what? I think it takes all types. <laughs> well, I guess it's kind of like where nowadays we're talking that uh, Joe Biden is the moderate Democrat, right? Right? When he used to be on the left uh, side of the, the political spectrum. Um, so I'll put you on the spot since I, I, I brought him into the, this discussion. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you are ABT, uh, anybody but Trump, right? Uh, so so it, safe to say. Uh, Can I tell you? <laughs> yeah. and I, I, I will. And I will. Give, I know it's a lighthearted question, yeah. but to me, that's not a Democrat or Republican thing. That's really about character and what kind of person we'd want to to, to inhabit the office. <laughs> but having said that, yeah, yeah. Uh, I do not suspect there is any candidate my party would put forward that I would be supporting I, Donald Trump in this or any other election. So uh, have you have you endorsed yet? Are you? Uh, do you have a favorite uh, that uh, you you say? That's the person that I think uh, one shares my values and and one and two I guess can can win. Uh, this will sound like a total non-answer. Yeah, I, I, I haven't endorsed, and I, I don't think anyone cares if I do. Uh, but having oh, said that, oh, I do. That, I want you to make news yes, here. On yeah, this. it's 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 not going to make news. That's the problem. Uh, honestly, I think each one of them has something really cool to offer. Um, now, there's like 23 of them, I yeah, think, at last yeah. count, so I can't say. There will be more by the time this airs, oh, I'm yes, sure. Yes, yes. No, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not convinced you're wrong. Um, I think they all, you know, listen, some of the new members and their energy, I think, would be great. By the same token, Joe Biden is such a steady hand and is so experienced and was such a great partner uh, for President Obama. Um, so... Uh, you know, I can see an argument for that. I can also see an argument for generational change. I can also see an argument, frankly, diversity, gender diversity. Um, but I also want the best person. And frankly, I want the best for my country. And that, uh, to me, is about who the right person. That could well be Joe Biden, because uh, I think the election is so important. I, I really, you know, I don't want to go off on that tangent, yeah. but I will say, I, uh, you know, you mentioned about the tribalism. With the current president being the way he is in terms of style, rhetoric, and frankly, substantively, the fact that people are accepting this and saying, oh, will Hillary be worse or some kind of rationalizing yeah. or relativism, certain things are just unacceptable. Yeah. And that worries me that, that we're, we're unable to recognize that. Uh, you know, the current president is really a problematic Person, and I think that that's being missed in our politics right now. Well, and I'm not I'm not going to defend or or. Uh, but he's the know, president. Yeah, yeah, it shouldn't be that hard. Yeah, no, you, that, you, that's that, that's what really worries yeah. me. The standard for the leader of the free world shouldn't be. Well, hopefully he misspoke when he equated you know uh, skinheads in Charlottesville with those who are standing up to them. And that you know that's not the standard that we should hold the no, president of the I, United States. Look, to. and I think you you see broad-based agreement on uh, the style, um, certainly substance. I mean, it's saving Pennsylvania in terms of revenues that you're going to be uh, divvying up here by the end of June. Um, but uh, what we can certainly have that discussion or continue to have that discussion. And I'm sure uh, the electorate is going to, uh, going into 2020, it's be a lively of style versus <laughs> substance, right? Uh, uh, we'll see that. Well, so Matt, uh, What's next? I mean, you, you're obviously you're in a new role uh, as Democratic uh, Appropriations Chairman, a uh, powerful position. Um, you have your eyes on, on something else? Uh, you, you think, Being the uh, majority chairman. Yeah, okay, majority chairman. Uh, you know, I, I, I am, uh, I am uh, and singularly. I, and I have my eyes on making sure you're not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
that you stay the minority chairman. No, 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 you shouldn't be so worried about it. Because listen, for those who 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 want business to yeah. flourish, I was meeting with one of our uh, really large national uh, engineering firms this afternoon, and I was saying, listen, for those who believe that we need to rebuild infrastructure, who understand that southeastern Pennsylvania, in many ways, between the southeast and Philly, the engine, the economic engine that's bringing in those revenues you talked about a second ago, we need to be investing in our roads and our bridges and our public transportation. The reason why people want to live in southeastern Pennsylvania, and frankly, with the tremendous strides that we're seeing in Allegheny County and, and in pockets throughout our Commonwealth, it's because we're getting these things right. And a Democratic majority, a Democratic majority that I would love to see, is one that's going to say, not only are we going to make investments in things like education, but for our business community. You know, we're open to talking about tax reform, things that you're not going to hear. You know, it's easy to say, oh, lib you know, liberal Democrat is going to be the appropriations chair. Listen, some of us, you know, there's a lot of pharmaceuticals, a lot of R&D, a lot of research and development, our, our, uh, our colleges and our research engines. I want to see them do well, and I want to have a conversation with our business community about how we can talk about net operating loss, about single sales factor. Let's have that conversation. You'll be surprised how many Democrats want to engage on these discussions, who want to talk about a tax plan for Pennsylvania that is fair, and yes, is going to require those who do well to pay more, absolutely, but also recognizes that we're going to win and frankly do well as a commonwealth when we make these key investments. Well, we certainly uh, hope that uh, we can get to that tax reform effort uh, because uh, you're right. It's what's going to one key. I, you've got four kids. I got four kids. I want them to stay here in Pennsylvania. Right? Absolutely. And uh, if we don't make Pennsylvania's business climate one where the jobs are growing here uh, rather than growing in places that have a more hospitable business climate, uh, we'll all lose uh, and it won't be sustainable. Well, uh, Matt, I've enjoyed our conversation. Uh, appreciate your having uh, me down here at Five Saints Distilling. It's a great spot. Well, thank you for coming all the way down. Hopefully you'll be back soon. We, we will. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners and follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E.